He's ready to eat. Me too, buddy. Me too. <laughs> you know, this morning, um, I'm reminded uh, again on how sometimes we rely on technology and things, and God reminds us not always um, not to do that, but to remember that he is in control whether we have all the comforts of life or whether we don't. Amen? But how many of us rely so much on technology in our lives? Anybody? We all do. My, my phone's my alarm clock. Something happens, that doesn't go off. I mean, uh, power goes out. What do we do? <laughs> we panic, don't we? Where's my air conditioner? Where's my heat? Am I going to be able to sleep or whatever it may be? But the reality is, is what we need more than any of that is the power that comes from, from God himself. Amen? That was weak. The power we need comes from God. Amen? Amen. Much better. This morning, we're going to look at that power as we continue to walk with the early church. Uh, as we now move into chapter 3, the church has been established in Acts uh, through the day of Pentecost. And so we see that God has been adding to the church every day as, as the church does its work, as the church worships as the church lives together we talked about that last week that in the last portion of chapter two that we really see the foundation of what the church is supposed to be doing which is preaching the word um, and being devoted to that to to fellowship which means koinonia there means uh, this idea of of tight-knit community it's it's one where you do life together Oftentimes we'll name Sunday school classes koinonia because it means fellowship and we think well we're going to do a fellowship so we're going to use the Greek word koinonia so we're going to get together. Well that's not the idea of what's going on here in koinonia. Koinonia is actually a fellowship means doing life together. But so often we think of koinonia or fellowship as in we're going to have a fellowship meal or we're going to do this together. That's not actually what was going on. The church was actually living together in community together and so when we understand koinonia and fellowship we understand that we do life together it means the breaking of the bread that means we eat together we 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 understand that that our table is is not just our table but it is the family's table so my house we cooked pot roast the other day if uh, you should have been welcomed to my table and and that's what I want you to feel like if if you for some reason need to to come over to our home we want you to re realize and be and feel welcome into our house now one thing you got to realize is you walk in our house there's toys laying everywhere and and the countertops have got stuff on them because well that's just kind of when you got two kids that's where everything ends up and so and then the bedroom's got clothes laying everywhere because well laundry gets done and and it gets in a basket and out of a basket you wear it back into a basket and that's kind of life with a five-year-old and an 18-month-old for some of you that's life in in your 50s and 60s amen or if you're a college student it's that's how life is you ever been in a home where it's just so pristine you feel like i don't even need to walk in this kind of place you don't feel welcome do you even though you know the people I don't want my home to be like that. Yeah, I want it to clean and nice, but I want it to be a place where people feel like they can come in 
kick their shoes off when they want to, sit down on the couch and, and turn the TV on. That's the kind of community life feel that I want in my home. And that's what, what we were talking about last week. And this week we move forward in our text and, and see, see what happens now as leaders within the church begin to move out and begin to continue to do their, their work. And what I've titled this sermon this morning is Walking the Gospel Life. And the reason I've titled our sermon this this morning is this, is there is a sense, I think, in our lives we need to understand that when I walk out of this building today, I walk out as a gospel Christian. And, and what, I, what I learned this morning, what is given to me this morning, what is God has done in my life, what happened yesterday in the ladies' ministry, we walk those things out within us, and we take them where we go. If we go to, to Food City or if we go to Walmart, wherever we go, our, our jobs, the gospel walks out with us. It's not something that we separate. And I think this morning as we look at our text, we're going to see what happens if we walk the gospel out in everyday life. We don't miss gospel moments. Yesterday, again, for, it was just a great illustration for us for this text, for the ladies' ministry. That, that was such a gospel moment that so often we see those moments and we think, oh, poor soul, um, she, she needs something, some help in her life. And we miss the gospel moment. She didn't not, she, yes, she needed something, she needed a spirit in her, but what she needed more than that was a community life that's willing to walk with her. And, and we miss those moments so often because we just want to do the ministry component of it instead of walking the gospel life. And so in this portion of Scripture, we find Peter and John doing ministry together. And remember that they, along with John's brother James, were part of the inner circle of Jesus. And Jesus spent more time with Peter, James, and John than he did the other disciples, that he was training them for more leadership abilities as part of the early church. And we find them heading in our text to the temple at 3 in the afternoon, which was the third hour or third time of prayer, 1 at 9, 1 at noon. And they were going to a gate called Beautiful. And the gate Beautiful, Josephus, the Jewish historian, says was such a large, massive gate that it took 20 men to push open. And it was double-doored. It was 75 feet high. And it was so large in weight and, and beauty that it was took 20 men to push the door open. And the reason that they were there and the, the man, layman was there is that was the, the main gate that people were entering heading into the time of prayer. And so as we read the text here in a minute, remember that, that this is not just John and Peter walking by, but there are hundreds of people walking in for the time of prayer right now and they are passing by this lame man. And so it's not just like Isaac and I or Tom and I taking a stroll into the temple and it be just a normal little area. But this is a massive place where all of us, the community within Jerusalem, are heading in to a time of prayer. And so that's the background of what's going on. And so let's read our text this morning. And so if you would, would you stand in, the, in honor of the reading of God's Word, Acts 3, chapter 1 through or chapter 3, verse 1 through 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. 
And he placed, he was placed each day at the temple called Beautiful, or gate, temple gate called Beautiful, so that he could beg for those from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I do not have silver or gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then, then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at, one, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized that he was the one who sat and, be and, and begged and begged at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. Father, this is your word. This is your service. I am your servant. Father, the things that flow from my mouth may be the things that you want to flow through my mouth. The Holy Spirit, you would prick our hearts and our minds to apply this text to our lives. To apply this word to our lives. That when we walk out of here, we walk out walking more and more like you. And that the gospel life would be the one that we live. And in that, Father, we know that you will get praise and honor. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. First thing I want us to see in this text is, is this, is, as, as we walk through this text, is in verses 1 and 2, centering our, centering our day and our life on Jesus is what matters. Amen? How many of you have a busy schedule in your life? Anybody in here got a busy schedule? I mean, so busy that, you know, um, Katie and I keep our, our schedules in our life on, on, on our phones. We, we share calendars, and I often get in trouble because something pops up that I forget to put in the calendar, you know, at home. You know, like, um, just, just I'm going to go get the kids, and she's not, so we don't want to double, or whatever it may be. Um, I say often, it, it's once every once in a while, but it does happen. Um, and and, and we're, we sync our calendars together, and that happens with her. There's things that happen in her life, and she forgets to put it in the calendar, and guess what happens? Oh, you're, you're doing that. I didn't know that. That happened a couple weeks ago with, with her, and it happened with me just this last week. I was preaching at the BCM. She's like, oh, I forgot all about it because it wasn't in our calendar. I said it was in our calendar. I just had it on my work calendar, not our home calendar. For her, it happened a couple weeks ago. She was supposed to get her hair cut. It was a Saturday. I had something going on. And guess what happened? It was in one of her calendar, but not our shared calendar. It happens. We all have busy lives. Retirement is supposed to be a time of relaxation. But Mickey, you're probably busier in retirement than you were working, weren't you? How many of us go on vacation and we get back from vacation and we need vacation from vacation? Anybody? Yeah. We have busy schedules in our lives. And because of that, so often we try to fit Jesus into our schedule 
And, and so we say, Jesus, I'm, I'm going to give you 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there. Um, I, I'm in the shower. I'm driving, so I'm going to have time of prayer. Uh, um, I, I've got a few minutes here with a cup of coffee. I'm going to open up your word, whatever it may be. I'm gonna, I've got a short devotional I'm going to jump into, and then I've got to get to a 9 o'clock meeting or whatever it may be. We, we fit Jesus into those kind of schedules, do we not? And, and pastors, we say, yeah, you need, whenever you can fit Jesus in, get Jesus in, right? I mean, we, we say that. I say that. Tony says that. We've all said that, right? Reality is this week, here's what Jesus did in my heart. You don't fit me in your schedule. I am your schedule. You're talking about rocking a pastor's life. When my life is supposed to be about Jesus, and it is. And ministry, but it's so easy to get involved in ministry that we miss Jesus. And what we find in this text is this in the first few verses, Peter and John have Jesus at the center of everything that they are. That they that three in the afternoon that they're heading to the temple for, for a time of prayer. My guess is, is is as they're heading to the temple, they're not just heading for a time of prayer as far as um, Old Testament Jewish law requires but they're heading there to pray and give praise to Jesus and, and more than likely to preach the name of Jesus to the people who are coming and so Jesus is driving them that the most busiest part of the temple day guess where they're heading they're heading to the temple so that Jesus will be glorified so that Jesus' name will be praised what come to my mind this week is this is when I head to the office or when you head to the office or wherever you're, you're heading, are, are we heading there because that's what's driving us? Or are we heading there for opportunities to live out Jesus right there? Whether it's at UTC as a student or Chattanooga State or in retirement or wherever it may be that we're at, are, are we going to those because Jesus has gifted and called us to do the things that we're doing and we want to center we want Jesus to be the center of that, and around that, his gospel flows out. And so, um, as we go about our day, what, what happens? Do we, do we go to our jobs and think, this is a place that gives me an opportunity to live out the gloriousness of the gospel today in front of people? Or, or, or do we go to that job saying, Oh my, I'm looking to get ready towards retirement. Lord, if you open up another door, I'd be really appreciative for that other door. Whatever phase of life we're in, how do we view that? You see, think, I think Peter and John's life changed. Do, do you agree with that? When Jesus said, follow me, they didn't understand what it meant to become fishers of men, but they were soon to find that out. After three and a half years walking with Jesus, they began to find out what it meant to be fishers of men and what it meant to follow Jesus. It meant that Jesus was at the center of everything, and because of that, great things were going to happen. And so I think as we open this text, what we realize is that James and Peter and John, their lives changed. They were great, successful fishermen, and Jesus transformed their hearts over time into becoming great leaders for him to focus in on the gloriousness of the gospel.
So the question is, how do, how do we apply that to our everyday life? How do we apply centering our day and life on Jesus? I think one of the things, it may mean stepping out and, and, and becoming more and more uncomfortable for the gospel in our job. That, that realizing that in, in the reality is, is we may lose our job one way or the other, but if we're going to lose our job, let's lose it for Jesus Christ and no other reason. Amen? Working at UPS during seminary, one of the things they wanted us to do is, is they hired a lot of seminary students, but they didn't want us to, to be seminary students. They just wanted us to be package handlers. Well, I, I want to promise you, you get a bunch of seminary guys around who've been talking theology all day and Greek all day, guess what they're going to do as they're loading packages? They're going to talk that because that's what they're around. And one of the things we begin to find is that the plant that I was at the, the supervisors began to not worry about what we were talking about because they knew what we were working hard and we were knew why we were there. And one of the things that we reasons that some of us were there is because it gave us an opportunity to be around lost people. Just this week, had a chance to be at, at, a, at a conference with Nam for for a luncheon, and one of the things that um, Dr. David Level, who is the president of the Tennessee Baptist Convention, said is about 4% of everybody sitting in a, a Baptist church in a pews has shared their faith in their life. 4%. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm going to ask you to think about that. Have you ever shared the faith, your faith, the gospel of Jesus Christ with anybody? He said if we could move that from, let's say, 4% to 15% in the state of Tennessee this year alone we would reach 80,000 people for Jesus Christ. Think about this. If the reality, and I, I think that that is probably right for here, maybe, maybe it's a little higher, but if we went from 4 to 5% to 15% here sharing their faith, what would happen? How many people would come to faith in Christ. And you say, well, I, don't know, I don't know enough about uh, the Bible. You know what Jesus has done in your life, right? You know that Jesus saved you. You know how you came to faith, right? You, you, you should. If you came to faith, you should understand that. You have a story. How many of you in here know John 3, 16? Let's say it. For God so loved that he gave So you know a, a passage of scripture, right? You've come to faith. For God loved you. I want to tell you about this God who loves you. I get it. Your life's a mess, but God loves you. My life's a mess. God loves you. Here's how much he loves you. He gave his life for you so that you may have eternal life in him. I don't have all the answers for you, but Jesus has all the answers. And if, if you will trust him and repent and turn to him, guess what? we've got a community that will walk with you and help you answer those big questions and God will answer those big questions in your life. That's a gospel-centered life. That's the one who walks out of a door and understands that. I don't quote John 3.16 very often. You know why? Because everybody in the secular world knows John 3.16. John 11.25, Jesus, what? Wept. I think it's 25 shortest verse in the Bible 
to me, that is as impactful as John 3.16. Why? Because Jesus wept at the lack of faith that Mary and Martha had in who he was. That should impact us because that's you and I often. Where Mary and Martha, would Jesus weep if he walked into these these. This, these doors and into this building would he weep because we're not living the gospel life like Peter and John are living I, I don't want to belabor the point but we got to center our lives around the gospel before we move to the next point I want to, I want to make this one statement um, J.D. Greer in the Summit Church in North Carolina has challenged their college students, and I just read the other day that Micah over at Brainerd has done the same thing, but they have both challenged their college students and their, their recently retired um, senior adults to spend their first two years in either after college or in retirement on the mission field for Jesus Christ. The Summit Church has been doing this for a while, and they have hundreds of college students that every year that graduate from Duke, Wake Forest, that just that area where they're at, one of those places, and they say we're going to somewhere like Denver, Colorado, and we're going to get with this church plant, and we're going to give our lives for two years for the sake of missions, and we're going to work whatever kind of jobs for that sake. They're starting to see senior adults retire and say, you know what, I've got all this retirement, I'm going to sell my house, I'm going to go buy a camper, and I'm going to go somewhere, and I'm going to live on missions for Jesus Christ. I think that's not only a good goal, I think that should be what the church is doing. To be honest with you, how many of you had the Latter-day Saints show up at your house and knock on your door? The Mormons. It's a requirement for them. 6 a.m. in high school, Mormon students are up studying the teachings of the Book of Mormon and the Church of Mormon. 6 a.m. or earlier, our students are what? That's us, right? Gospel life changes us. Are we willing to give up our best or our worst? I think a healthy church sends their best out. And their best have raised up other people to be the best. But so often, what do we want to send out? The ones who aren't plugged in because they don't mean anything, right? Now, let's send our best out and then the next level rise up. Secondly, this morning in our text, and I'm, I'm moving quickly here, is this, is obedient lives see the need of people. You see, this text is not about a lame man. It's very simple to see that as the center of the text, but it's really not the center of the text. Jesus is at the center of the text. But for so many years, I thought and was taught that, that the lame man healing was the center. That's really not actually the center of the text. It's actually the glorious name of Jesus Christ is at the center, and men in, who are obedient to the gospel are even more important than the lame man. Peter and John are actually more important than the layman in this text. So how do you know that? Well, let's look at the text, and the text will tell us that. In verse 3, it says, When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. 
Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned to them expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I do not have silver or gold, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And taking him by the right hand, they raised him up at once. His feet and his ankles became strong. This young man, this man probably in his 30s, had been sitting there day after day after day for year after year after year, and people walking by and asking the same thing, can you help me? Can I get a few coins from you so that I may be able to eat and survive? Day after day, people were giving him that. Day after day, he was getting his substance met, but day after day, he continued to do what? Set there. Religious people walked by him day after day after day, seeing his need, but not willing to meet his ultimate need. He needed, yes, money, but what he also really needed is a family, a, a group of people to take him and say, we're going to take care of you. You're no longer going to sit at this gate. You're going to be welcome in our house. We're going to take care of you. We may not be able to physically heal you, but we're going to make sure that everything is taken care of your life. That didn't happen, so guess what? It come to this day. Peter and John walk by. They say, look at us. Can you imagine this guy who's needed money? He's thinking, oh man, I'm, I'm getting ready to get, get a good bit of money. And Peter says to him, we don't have money. We don't have a dollar to our name. Can you imagine the discouragement that would come straight to that man? Think about that. Most of us in this room haven't been hungry. You can tell I don't go hungry very much. Most of us in this room haven't ever really been hungry. But if you've been around the world, you've been some other places, you, you meet some people that are really hungry. Even here in Chattanooga, you meet some people that are really hungry. Just this past Tuesday night, or Tuesday here today, and I share this story with you because I think I would have responded differently had I not been in this text this week. I get back from from a meeting with our WMU ladies and some other things. God just did a good work. And then I get back to our office, and I'm the only person there. And I'll pull in, and sitting on the front of, of our offices is a young lady um, who I could clearly tell was homeless. We get homeless people over at Memorial Drive um, often. And, and, and I get out of the car, and I'm thinking, all right, nobody else is here. What am I going to do? We've got kids in the building. Um, how am I going to respond to this? Never once prayed at that moment. How am I going to respond was the natural kind of thing. How many of us, if we're honest, that's the first thing we're going to do. How am I going to respond to this without even saying, Jesus, what do you got in store for me and for her? Walk up to her and I said, can I help you, ma'am? My name's John. I'm one of the associate pastors here. Um, and here's her response. I'm a repentant sinner of Jesus Christ trying to find mercy in him and with others. She's got a Bible. You talking about catching somebody off guard. That caught me 
off guard because the first thing I expected going through my mind is, yes, can I, can you help me out with some rent or can you get me a place to stay or can you get me some food? Her first response is, is I would like another Bible. The Bible she had was a Catholic Bible and she goes, I, I'd like a, another Bible, I'd like a King James Bible. She's not much older than I am, but I asked her, I said, why King James? She goes, well, when I got saved a few years ago, that's what I had, and so I've just read it. I said, okay. I said, I think I've got one in my office. I can get you one. She goes, um, Chattanooga doesn't have a lot of mercy on people that are in need. I said, ma'am, you're right. We, we don't. Our city wants to kick people out when we have chances to build tiny homes for people. What do they do? Ministries, they say, you're not welcome here. I'm not trying to overrun my time this morning, but I want to say the seriousness of this text. Jesus in our hearts transforms us. Because I look at the lady and I said, would you, I, I don't have much to offer. Can I get you a couple bottles of water and would you like to come in and go to the restroom? That would be great. So I walk in and I show her where the restroom is and I, I keep an eye on where she's at just because we got kids in the building. Like, would you like a Diet Coke? I got a Diet Coke. Sure. I don't know what we can do for you, ma'am. You want to sit here while some of our staff get back? Yes, I'll get my Bible. For you. Still hadn't prayed, still was just kind of going through the motions. Walk into my office, pick the Bible off the shelf where I've got a roll of Bibles. Look at it, it's got my name on it. No, I don't know that I want to give her that. Yeah, it's got a good concordance and study notes in it. Who cares if she knows my name? Before I turn around and walk out of my office, the Holy Spirit, I feel like, hits me with a thousand-pound sledgehammer. John, you're reading a text this week about a man who was healed, and you're doing the same thing, worrying about the healing instead of what I want you to do. Walk out. Give her the Bible, sit down and begin to talk to her. So tell me your story. She tells me her story, and, and I'm not, I'm, and she tells me her story, my heart's breaking, and I'm like, I don't know that we can do anything for you. But I've got an apple and an orange on my desk. Would you like that? Yes. And Joyce comes in, and we're sitting there talking, and there's really nothing we can do, and the Holy Spirit's still pricking me. I, look at my phone and look at my bank account and realize it got a lot of bills going out this week Holy Spirit says I don't care what you got going out I want you to ask her would she like some food we all argue right Lord I, I got to meet my own needs I got kids right I got to feed my kids I gotta go get milk this week. I gotta do this and I gotta do that. I'm not trying to belabor the point, but I want you to hear this. Go out. What would you? I can run to McDonald's and get something, or there's Bojangles. I would love some fried chicken. I've not had it in forever. So I'll go and what do I get her? The most expensive fried chicken meal that she can have. 
I come back and I give it to her. I wanted to tell that whole story to say this. When she got done, she was like, thank you for being obedient to the Holy Spirit. She knew what the Holy Spirit was telling me to do. I had a moment to look at her and say, here is a little bit of change. That's not what God wanted. When they walked by, what this man needed was, yes, healing, but what he needed more than healing was a family and a community that was willing to walk with him, and that's what they were offering. Side note is, guess what? Jesus does healing. Side note, Jesus brings us meals even using the least of what we have. We may have very little, but Jesus takes that very little and turns it into Things that feed thousands of people. Are we willing to do ministry where Jesus is at? I don't like being transparent like that because that could make me look really bad. I, mean, I could have made myself look good or I could have said nothing if I would have done nothing and nobody would have ever known the difference. But you know what I would have known? The Holy Spirit would have hushed himself this morning because I wasn't obedient on Tuesday morning. What drives us? Jesus or other things? Do we, obedient people, see the real need in people's lives? Peter and John saw past the need of, of a couple coins they saw a man who needed a family. You said that doesn't, it doesn't say that anywhere in the text. Yes, it did. If you look back in the ch previous chapter, what was God doing? He was adding daily to the community, to his church. John and Peter understood that this man needed a community. What he was already doing from the day of Pentecost, this man needed that. What the religious people of the day were not giving him, they could give him. And so he was healed because Jesus showed up in a miraculous way. Which leads us to the close this morning. If we center our schedules around Jesus, we become obedient to the needs of others. And when we become obedient to the needs of others, the gospel life leads to praise of Jesus. Look at the text. Verse 9. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. How many of you ladies were at in awe and astonishment of what God did yesterday. <laughs> I 
I was in awe and astonishment of what God did on Tuesday. Tuesday night, I went to UTC to preach. Great group of college students. Preached on what it means to really worship Jesus Christ, to live a life of worship. I tell the same story because it just happened that day. And you could see college students in the room. If you don't believe me, Quentin and Heather were there. You can ask them and Ashley. You could see college students in the room grasp what it means to live a sacrificial life of worship because the man standing before them was obedient to Jesus. Say, well, John, that's your story. Yesterday was not my story. This week, God was in your life. What did he do? Did you, did you miss the moment or did you hit it? We'll close with this. We worry about the things that don't matter in our churches. We worry about, is this perfect? Is that perfect? This person offended me. That person said this. But the question is, is are we walking the walk that Jesus wants us to walk? Because if we do that, when somebody offends me, my heart breaks for them and because I see they don't understand the big picture of something. When I'm obedient with Jesus, when I'm driving down the road and the Holy Spirit says, you see that homeless man there? You've got $20 in your pocket. Give it to him. You say, well, he's going to go buy a bottle of whiskey or a case of beer. I'm not going to give him that. It's not your and my responsibility what he goes to buy. Our responsibility is to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. If you're so worried about that, go buy him $20 worth of McDonald's or whatever. Or better yet, go buy him $20 worth of McDonald's or whatever's close and give him the 20 as well. We have a community who needs needs that are walking through gates that are called gates to hell. And we are standing in their life and in their line and we're letting them walk by without showing them the love and the goodness of Christ Jesus Christ. Amen. So here's the close. What can we do to be obedient? Make Jesus the center of our schedule, not a side note of it. If that means getting up an hour early to read his word, to make sure that we're in, and that, this includes me, make sure that my day starts right, I get up an hour early, that means I may need to go to bed an hour earlier. Or that means I may need to sleep more on Saturday. But make Jesus the center, not a side note. Don't miss ministry opportunities as simply needs of people. Don't look at the need, look at the person. And thirdly, when we do that, 
awe and astonishment that's going to come to everybody. I'll promise you this. This week, that woman who attended the ladies' ministry is going to tell her story somewhere, in some way. And in that, God is going to get the praise and the glory. Or somebody else is going to tell that story this week. Miss Bonnie, who I met Tuesday, somewhere along the line of trying to go wherever she was going, is going to tell the story to church. This church somewhere in Chattanooga showed me mercy, and you're not. Stories are going to be told. People's going to be astonished. How will we respond when God shows up? Father, this morning as we close this, this time out, um, I pray, God, that you would direct our, our time of response to your word, that you would break us, Father, that, that we would, Father, if we need to come to the altar, Father, to, to rejoice in praise, or if we need to come to the altar in repentance or or prayer for gospel opportunities, whatever it may be, Father. If maybe there's a, a person in this room who doesn't know Jesus, God, that they're willing and ready to respond to, to Christ. Or ready to say, you know what, I, I keep hearing about this, about Jesus, and um, I, I want to be obedient and follow him. Whatever the task may be this morning through you, Holy Spirit, may you help us to respond. God, help us to see you. We ask that you be with us in Christ's name. Amen.